0: Good morning. It is good to to see you, to be with you, to gather. Again, my name is Drew, if um, uh, if you're just gathering here with us. Uh, and I, uh, this week, was thinking about this question about meeting famous people. And one of the things that came to mind was this moment uh, that Jimmy Fallon does. Maybe you've seen this, um, where he has a celebrity stand outside elevators at 30 Rock, the building where they record... Uh, um, the Tonight Show. And then as the doors open up, there's like a really famous person standing there. Um, these, these are two of them that I could find gifts for. One of them is Michelle Obama. She's jump roping. If you can imagine the doors open. <laughs> Michelle Obama and Jimmy Fallon, they're all <clears throat> there hanging out. The other one, which is incredible, the doors open and then he does this magic trick. Uh, and Paul McCartney is there. Just stands there. Look at this in this video. Look at this woman's face right in the beginning when it first shows him. Here it comes, it's it's Paul McCartney, and she's like, "What?" Uh, I mean, incredible. one of the Beatles is standing right uh, in front of them. Uh, is it's incredible? Could you imagine that? mom if if you watch the videos of this or anything like this, right, where someone meets. Celebrities, or is telling a story of meeting a celebrity. Often you hear similar things, right? They talk about how uh, amazing, how grand, almost how uh, unreachable this person is. They're just incredible, and then they also love people love to say. I've heard this many times when people tell a story of meeting someone famous or a hero. They say they're just like everybody else. There's this like kind of this kind of thing that happens where it's like wow, they're incredible. Um, they're like out of this world, and then they're kind of like a normal person. And then even saying that, I've said that, even saying that, you think, oh, I've, well, they are just a person, right? They're just a another human that happens to be really good at playing a sport or writing things, or they're really smart, um, or they're good at acting like other people in, in movies. Um it's this kind of unique thing where we have these people around us in our world and especially it right now as we live because we know about all these things because of because of technology right because of our phones and watching movies and all this connection we have to the world there's these people that get elevated and sometimes right uh wrongly to like a god to us but almost in a way like connected to the Gods or something are they those those are the phrases you would hear or could hear, right? There's this connection to like some other level of humanity, and also we so want them to be just normal, right? We just want them to be like they're at home in their sweats, eating ice cream, and then the next day they're making you know, Oscar winning movies. We love that 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 kind of connection. Today we're looking at, Uh, Really, I think that's built into us. There's something in us uh, because there is one, right? And it's Jesus, big spoiler, um, that has this kind of dual thing going on. And and I hope today you are encouraged. I was really encouraged this week by just kind of marinating, just sitting in this passage and being reminded of how Jesus does this. And, And he does it by becoming the greatest high priest, the greater of all high priests. And that might not land with us. I don't. In my normal day-to-day life, in growing up, we didn't reference high priests, right? I, I, I don't know if I even knew. I mean, I knew what priests were. Um, my friends who went to a Catholic church or a church that called their pastors priests. Um, but I wouldn't have known what the high priest was. So let's do a quick... Little, uh, little journey, a few minutes to just remember or maybe understand who the high priest was. They, they in a way, were a bit of a celebrity, um, a famous person. In fact, their position uh, in, in ancient Jewish culture, we're seeing the Old Testament, this person was the one who connected the people to God. They made the connection between the people and God and Yahweh which is a big deal, right? This is a person, if you met them, you'd say, wow, that high priest, they actually hang out in the presence of God and they seem pretty normal. They must just sit in their sweats, you know, at home and and watch Netflix like me, but then they also are in the presence of God. Well, obviously not. This is this is a little, uh, you know, a depiction, obviously, of a, there's no photographs of the ancient uh, high priest, but there's a high priest in, in there garb that they would wear, the, the clothing, the symbolism and all sorts of things, which we might actually get to later as we go through Hebrews. This idea of, of a high priest is going to be brought up a few times. Um, they have a sweet beard, if you notice. I don't know if that's a requirement. Um, but they, uh, they were the person who represented God's people and made that connection with God's people. The, one of the most important things the high priest did was uh, in a ceremony on the Day of Atonement, uh, we just sang about this word atone. Um, This is where God makes things right, where where he takes the sin of the people that deserves death, and in this ceremony, the high priest would take two goats, and one goat, he would pray the sins of the people, kind of put the sins of all the people on the goat, even his own sins, because he was just a person, right, also. He's this amazing high priest, but he's also just a human, right, just a regular guy chosen by God to be this high priest put the sins on one of the goats and and then also the sins on this other goat one goat would actually be sacrificed would be killed to pay for the punishment of the people and one goat actually they would take the sins and they would send the goat off it would escape it would it would uh it was a scapegoat that would run off into the wilderness taking the sins of the people far far away it really is cuz called a scapegoat side note that's a great Opportunity, maybe if you ever want to uh, transition a conversation from a friend to to Jesus, you just if they say I'm feeling like a scapegoat at work, and you say Oh yeah, like the sins of Israel are on you, and you're being led in the wilderness. Do you know who Jesus is? Guaranteed, guaranteed. (laughs) Don't do that. Anyway, the high priest would use these goats, right? It was one of the things they would do. They also would bring in a sacrifice of a lamb to the Holy of Holies. Well, What is that? Another part of the high priest, as we're just looking real general here, is they would be the person who could move from outside the temple, if you look on here, into like, they're in the outer courts of it. They're getting the inner courts of it. All these different parts of the temple. There's these different actual rooms that are either separated by doors or by giant curtains. And they were the only ones who had access all the way into the center, into that little space in the middle. So they could move farther. And as you move in there, less and less people are allowed in. And finally, it's just them. They're allowed into this this place where the Ark of the Covenant would have been, where the Holy of Holies would have been. In fact, there was times where they would tie ropes to the ankles of a high priest so that if he was in there and he didn't perform his acts, or if he actually hadn't uh, atoned for his sins enough, he might die in there. And they could pull him out um, because this was like the presence of God. So he, so he's this representative that connects with God. He actually takes the, the sins and, and does a sacrifice so that God's people's sins would be taken far away and would be paid for. And also he enters into the holiest place, into the presence of God, right into the center of this place in their temple that was where God's presence was. It's where heaven and earth kind of meet. So this high priest was this incredibly important person for them. This person who was their connection to God. And so as we open our Bibles here to Hebrews 4, Jesus is going to be called our great high priest or the greatest or greater high priest, understandably. And it's incredible how much he fulfills these roles of high priest for God's people. We're just going to get on it a little bit today. This is actually going to continue to play out throughout Hebrews. It's one of the big themes that plays out. And why is that? It's because um, we're seeing here the author of the book of Hebrews writing this letter or this sermon to a group that we think are Jewish Christians who probably being persecuted or at least having a crisis of faith saying, I think I might want to go back to the system, the religious system I was in, or I might want to just go move away from Jesus. And he's saying, do you remember this really important person, the one that connected you to God, this person, Jesus is far greater than them. He actually is the ultimate version of them. He's the he, he's the crescendo of the high priest, reminding them, like, don't go backwards to them. Jesus actually fulfills all these things and even greater. And so, as a high priest, being this kind of pinnacle, this celebrity, this uh, this great person culturally for them, he wants to remind them that in fact, even right. Um, in, in this period of time, historically, if you remember, the high priests were actually not representing God's people very well with God. If you remember in the Gospels, the high priests were the ones who actually were some of them that had Jesus killed. Because you can see the amount of power they have, they hold, because they're the connection with God. And they actually were, th- that was being threatened by Jesus. He was actually saying that he was The connection with God. The people don't need the high priest, and so that was really threatening them, and even threatening their livelihood, as they made a lot of money as they were leaders in the community. And so, um, consider that. Consider these people are thinking uh, about those high priests too, that were um, corrupt in some ways, and and also just using this power for themselves, and not not really using it for the way God created it. So, we're going to look at Hebrews four here. Let's jump in. Let's keep rolling. This is Hebrews 4. Uh, we're going to start here with 14 through 16. Then we're going to go in, into 5 a little bit. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So we're starting here in verse 14. Um, he's just saying, since we have this great or greater or greatest, this word, high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. That's who we're talking about. Hold firmly to the faith that we profess. It's saying Jesus is our high priest. He didn't just go into the Holy of Holies. He didn't just enter into all the, all the rooms of the temple and it, and it was in the presence of God. He moved all the way to heaven, it, like in the actual presence, living. In it. And we know that Jesus actually went back home to heaven, which is where he is from, right? It, actually, the home, he didn't just go in the building into this place, but actually went all the way to heaven. And we should hold firmly. We've heard this over and over and over in Hebrews, and this is what Hebrews wants us to be reminded of. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to the, the faith in Jesus. We just heard last week, work, the work you should be doing is to believe and hold on to Jesus. Your work should be to hold to Jesus. Um, and so he's encouraging us once again Uh, to hold on to Jesus. And as we continue here in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Some versions say sympathize here. Um, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin, um, and then then it's gonna go on, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I, I want us to really see this verse 15 here. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize or sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. This is right. We have a high priest who has entered heaven. He actually came from heaven and entered back into heaven. He hasn't he's not a sinner. He hasn't turned from God ever, but he has been tested or tempted. We heard about this earlier in Hebrews. He, though, is a high priest who does feel the same thing we feel. This word empathize here or, or sympathize, actually, the uh, original language here it says we have a high priest who isn't who who is able to co-suffer as we suffer. Because he too has been tempted. He has felt the brokenness of the world around us. He, he's like uh, a doctor who has come to heal us, but he was there <laughs> and experienced the brokenness with us, right? We were riding our bike and we fell off and broke our leg and he was there with us and experienced that with us. And then when we get to the hospital, he's still there with us. So he heals us. He, he has this power, right? He is king on his throne, but he has also experienced what it's like to just be a person. This is incredible that our God understands our suffering. He's a co-sufferer with us. You understand this? This means when we, we come to him and say, this is not right. Something is broken. He says, I know. I've been there. I'm, I'm with you. Now he's been tempted. Often we are tempted or tested, right? And there's a point where we break. We say, I can't handle this pain, this heartache. I'm going to turn to something else that might heal it. And we learn it. that doesn't heal it. Then we have to turn back to Jesus. Jesus never turned away. In fact, he took suffering to the point of death. We're going to hear a little more about this later. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. And then in verse 16 here, He says, let us approach God's throne of grace. So we have this God, right? Who is in heaven. He's entered the Holy of Holies. He's in He's in the ultimate Holy of Holies. He's there on his throne. And he also is there with us. He's the high, he's he's the famous of famous, and yet he's as understanding and with us as he can be. And we have access to him. He's not standing somewhere pointing his finger at us, saying, "You shouldn't have done that. What are you thinking?" I don't have time for these silly people who keep sinning and keep turning away. It says, "Let us now approach God's throne of grace." With confidence, there's a graciousness. There's a free gift of, no, come to me. I understand. And in fact, our God even comes to us and invites us. And He's He's given us access and opened all of those doors, pushed open all those curtains for us to enter into that space as well. There's no longer a person who we have to hold on to to have access to God, to sacrifice for us, to make things right. Is Jesus, the person who makes those things right and gives us access. It is our God, which is incredible. I this this experience of of meeting um, a, a famous person, I think, has shown me in my heart how I how I often can even view Jesus. Th- this might help you. Um. uh This was uh, years ago, probably twelve years ago. I had this experience where I was at a conference. I w- was kind of new to even considering, like, really. Uh, planting a church, uh, pastoring in a church. And I was getting excited. And and as in my faith, as I have grown, there's been some pastors who've been really influential. And and back in the day, that was because someone gave me like a CD of a sermon or a CD of a talk at a conference. And there was a few pastors that had been really influential in that, who had really been kind of fathers to me in the faith. And I was at a conference um, with some others and we were shuffling down an aisle, right? Like you know, it was in an auditorium and I was shuffling out to try to get to my seat. And the person behind me was kind of pushing me. The person in front of me was kind of stopping and made me trip. And I actually tripped and, and like fell. Uh, onto my knees into someone's lap. And as I pushed my hands up, I was in- inches away from a, a man who has been incredibly influential in my life. Who's, who taught me to love scripture. Has, has taught me to love Jesus, who I'd never met, but had been just recordings, right? I, I kind of knew what he looked like. I mean, I, I, it really was this moment where I stood up and I was pushing on his knees to stand up and I was this close to him. I'm sure I was like, all, all I remember is going, oh, 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 And then I got up and I walked away. And as I walked away, I went, I think you're great. I, that's all I could. I think you're great. I'm sure, I, I probably, uh, I think you're great. That was all that happened to me. As fast as I could, I shuffled on the aisle. I made the people I was with sit way in the back so that we wouldn't have to be close to him. And I couldn't go, I don't really remember anything that the speaker said at that session. I was just losing my mind that I had met like a hero of mine. And all I could say was, I think you're great from a distance. I think you're great. I don't know if he even noticed. I mean, there was all these people trying to shuffle through. Or if later he was talking to friends at lunch and he was like, did you guys see that guy who fell on me (laughs) and yelled? I think you're great. He could have said, hey. I I later actually had the opportunity um, through some connections um, to actually Get to sit like at a meal a few times and, and meet him and, and guess what he was a pretty normal guy he was a nice person oh because he's just a human who God has used to really bless people and encourage people he's just a pastor at a local church that I happen to get CDs of but I I, I share that because I'm just I'm just dumb sometimes uh, and part of that is I think that's how I see Jesus though so often. I, I sit up and I go, oh, it's Jesus. Oh, you're very holy. And you're up on your throne. And I'm so sorry I've interrupted you. I'm so sorry that I have this thing. Uh, how do I explain it? Um, sometimes people like f- betray me. I think they like me or they're with me. And then they turn on me. I know you don't get that because you're like Jesus. And I just go, oh, I think you're great, Jesus. And I move on and I go, I had to find someone who would understand this, who, who would get it, who had been, like, has suffered the way I feel suffering. Right? And th- thankfully, the author of Hebrews here is reminding us we have a high priest who, who, yeah, he's great. And he has been there with us. He's a co-sufferer with us. I don't, I don't call Jesus for an appointment and, and uh, right, his admin is like, we'll see if we can get you in next week. He's got only 15 minutes between two meetings. Well, I don't know. And then he cancels on me. Right? He's, he's not a, a parent who, who is on their phone and they're like, "Yep, yeah, okay, cool. That's cool. That's cool. Okay, whatever. Great. Great, great. I got something to do. He's on his throne of grace and with us. Our God is with us. Let's keep moving here. They're going to continue. This is so important. In Hebrews 5, they're going to explain a little bit. So the author is going to say, if you forgot how this high priest thing works, uh, and and we've already looked at this a little bit, so we're going to be pros at this. You're all going to know all this already. In 5, it says, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is anointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Remember we this is what we know about high priests. They they are a person themselves which means they also are a sinner who needs their their sins taken care of. But they've also been appointed by God to represent God's people. They've also are they give gifts and sacrifices on behalf of God's people. So in verse two, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to to weakness. This is saying that uh, the high priest, this is referring to the actual human high priest, is able to be gentle, kind, sympathetic, a a co-sufferer in his approach to people who are ignorant and are going astray. This is actually referring to sin. These words are referring to being ignorant, which is uh, the kind of sin that is um, unintentional. They're unaware that they're doing something that God has not called them to or created them to or or they just are, are, are distracted or confused and then, or are going astray actually is the other part of sin where it's intentional. I, I'm aware of what God's doing and I'm just being disobedient. God has set up a way for us to live in this way and I've said, no, I don't think that's how I'm gonna do it. And so it's saying our unintentional or our intentional sin, this high priest is gentle with the people because he understands the weakness because he feels the weakness. He is a sinner too, and he feels the weakness. He he is a co-sufferer and understands what it's like to feel tempted or tested or, or to want to turn away. And then in verse 3 here, this is why he has... Uh, has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people and no one takes his honor on his, uh, this honor on himself but he receives it when called by God just as Aaron was. So saying, remember he has to give sacrifices for himself. That's how we know he too is a sinner and we know he has been given this honor by God. Now this part is really important because they're still, they're still connecting Jesus to a high priest here and they're saying, Okay, Jesus makes a way so we can be with him. He can be present. He's a co-sufferer with us. He sympathizes with us. He's on his throne and he's right here with us. And you're going to sin without knowing you're even sinning. And you're going to sin and know that you're sinning. And and either way, this Jesus who understands that struggle doesn't sit and point his finger. See, what are you doing? He doesn't just shout at us from across the room. He doesn't send us a text like a sad face, what do you think you're doing, right? I don't know what Jesus, thumbs down and a sad face whenever you sin, right? Even when you're unintentional, you're like, what did I do? I didn't even know what I did, right? It says he gently deals with those. Our, our God is with us, has made a way. He's on his throne as king. He's a co-sufferer who gently Deals with us. I think of this um, in uh, early as we were parents. Um, uh, one of our daughters was said something really unkind uh, to Kelly, my wife, and so we were trying to. As we we all calmed down, and then I said, "Hey, you need to talk to mom. Make this right. Let's can we apologize to her? Can you say like I did this and it was wrong, and I'm sorry I hurt you and." She said, no, I can't. Why Why can't you say that? I don't know. I, I don't know what mom's going to say. What if, What if she's angry? I said, well, what do you think mom will do? And Our other daughter says, well, she'll forgive you. She said, mom always forgives us. You know, that's what we do in our family, which is like, what a sweet moment, right? Like, this is... Doesn't always happen, but in this moment, this one moment, it does, right? And so the daughter who committed uh, sin against, right, her mom says, oh, so she'll for sure forgive me. Yeah. Okay, then I can, then I can make things right. Not in, in our house, right? We're all sinners. That doesn't always happen. But I, I won't forget that because that had became kind of a mantra in our house. We'd say, hey, let's make this right. And before we, you remember what will happen right here, right? I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to, I'm going to say, I love you. I'm going to move towards you. Which changes the person approaching and saying, I've sinned. Or, I've done something against you. And this for me is so important. That Jesus not only is a co-sufferer with us, that he sympathizes with us, that he's this great high priest who now has welcomed us into God's presence, but he also isn't waiting there to bring us into his throne room to yell at us, right? To fire us, to to ground us. He's, he's gentle with us. Even as we commit terrible sin against him, as we hurt him over and over, even, not, even unaware of it, we can enter into that space with Jesus knowing that he forgives us. In fact, to a point he's willing to put his life on the line, die for us. And he's going to say, I forgive you. We put our faith in him and he says, I forgive you. I love you. And he's gentle with us. Now, there's a time when he's going to come back and make things right. It's not going to be as gentle. Right now he wants to be, he's gentle with us. What an incredible thing. He understands my temptations, my testing of becoming angry or lazy or needing control of things and it causes me to turn from him or sin against others. He pulls me close and he forgives me and and is gentle with me. Thank God our God is so gentle. It it makes me think like what sin am I considering so bad that Jesus isn't going to forgive me or won't be gentle with me? There's that one thing that I've done or I continue to do and he is so gentle angry. I can't walk in because I'm laying on him a vision of a parent or a boss or or, or a picture of a person from a movie I've seen. I think, oh, he's gonna give me the talking to. And here are authors reminding these people, hey, you have a high priest who's welcomed you into that space. It's not just him alone in the Holy of Holies. He's welcomed you in. He understands your suffering. And he's, and he's gentle with you. Come to him and confess and repent. He's gentle. He wants to bring you in to the family. The person you've sinned against the most every day, intentionally and unintentionally, will be gentle. He is gentle as a good shepherd is. And as we get to the end of our passage here, In uh, Hebrews 5, 5, we're reminded of one more thing about Jesus. In the same way, Jesus did not take on himself glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son today. I have become your father. This is from Psalm 2. We've actually heard this reference before. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, There's a new name introduced. Who's Melchizedek? We're actually going to get to that later. We talk about that a lot more in Hebrews later. So if you can just put on hold Melchizedek all the excitement of of that cliffhanger. Who is this Melchizedek in the order of his priesthood? During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So talking about Jesus being called to be a priest, the ultimate high priest by God. And even in that Jesus, it says, offered up prayers and petition for fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Now, this is reminding us that even Jesus cried out in his suffering, please save me from this suffering, from this death. Do you remember this, Jesus? Uh, a lot of scholars think this is referring to the point, the authors are pre- referring to this moment, that he probably would have heard already about this. The Gospels weren't written yet uh, when, when Hebrews was written, but we would have known about them um, and those stories. And so he, this the moment when Jesus is in the garden right before he's arrested and he cries out, now, would you take this from me? And, and if it's your will, take this from me. He does have a moment, just in his suffering, he says, "God, this is so hard. This is so hard. If you can, would you take this from me?" So it's just reminding us he's been in the midst of this deep, dark, hard suffering. And then verse eight, son, son though he was, he was God's son. He learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed and was designed by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Ooh, information to come later, right? We'll talk about that later. but, But here's what this is saying. It's saying, he cried out and said, God, this is so hard. Please take this from me. And then it says, but in that suffering, he learned obedience. Just that, consider that. Our suffering actually causes us obedience, causes us to cling to Jesus more. And then he, then he eventually was made perfect. This Telling the story of the gospel, he cried out, this suffering is too much, God. If you can, if it's your will, take it from me. And then Jesus says in that, if you remember that's, that part, that that passage, he says, not my will, but yours. So he's saying this suffering, is, it's okay to cry out, this is broken. But I also trust you, God. So he is a high priest who not only is with us has made a way for us to connect him is a co-sufferer. He's gentle with us. He he draws us in. He allows us to to come to him with our sin and deal with that with him. As he's gentle but he also he understands suffering in a way do you get this in a way that he says I know this is this is messed up. This is not right. But I also know what it means to Trust God's will and, and rest in him, knowing that out of that suffering will come obedience, which really just is belief is turning towards God. So when you're in a place where you go, this is too hard, this, isn't, this is impossible, I got to turn to something else to soothe me, to give me control, to make me just feel better. Jesus says, no, 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 I've been there. I've been there in that suffering clinging to me will cause you to draw closer to God, which we know from last week, from the verses before, that brings rest and peace and joy. Jesus knows what it is to be in that extreme spot of suffering and the value of trusting God's will in that. How incredible is that? That we have a God who understands that. We don't have a God who sits on His throne somewhere and says, "Like, oh, those mere mortals." We don't have a God who is a- a- ethereal, off somewhere, and just says, "Well, stop doing silly things." We have a God who understands. It's been in it and actually been deeper into that suffering than even we have been. I love how, as as we end our time here, we're going to move into some time of communion here. If you want to grab your communion supplies, uh, Dane. Portland, in his book *Gently and Lowly*, which I have been reading, has been so encouraging. Just to remind it how much Jesus loves me and is with me. She writes a chapter on this uh, passage. He says, "If you are in Christ, you have a friend who, in your sorrow, will never lob down pep talk from heaven. He cannot bear to hold himself at a distance. Nothing can hold him back. His heart is bound up with yours." What a good word to hear today. As we mourn brokenness, as we feel suffering, not only is our God close to us, but he understands it and he gently deals with us. He he, he does surgery on our hearts to cause us to draw close to him.